And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Willow Park Church. If you join us online, we're delighted that you're also logged in and joined us online. It is a glorious Kelowna morning, isn't it? Hallelujah. And uh, what a day to celebrate. You know, it's been a great week and I've just finished uh, a set-free retreat, which has been remarkable and, uh, and powerful and wonderful. But on Thursday evening, I was at the Alpha meeting for all of the uh, churches that ran Alpha this last year in Kelowna. Let me just tell you some uh, really good news. First of all, a, a couple of years ago, when we first started running Alpha, again, there are probably a couple of hundred people that did Alpha in that year. This last year, 1,500 people did Alpha, um, which is fantastic. That actually translated into 16,000 meals. So, uh, wow, I don't know if that needs a clap or just, uh, probably not, Uh, but It is wonderful news for our city and uh, our own Jessica was leading uh, the evening through with all the churches in the city and talking about how she found Christ through Alpha and now leads uh, the Alpha at Willow Park Church and and everything that has been gone. It was absolutely wonderful and exciting. Just a little bit of family news. Uh, We've been praying for Ingrid uh, Jansen and she went through a 19 our uh, operation uh, with three doctors. I know we've been praying for her. Uh, She is now um, starting the slow road of recovery. Uh, I saw Henry sneak in and we'll keep praying for the family, particularly of course for Ingrid, for full recovery. Amen. And we send her the best uh, wishes. I don't think she's ready for any visitors. Uh, probably next year. Uh, but, you know, joking aside, she's, um, you know, a massive operation and a real miracle. So let's keep be- believing and praying. And, uh, and I've discovered that Henry is quite the um, Facebook messenger person. So if you want to know what's going on, get on to Facebook. But we're thankful for that and our prayers are with the family as well. Uh, we're going to jump into chapter 13 and, uh, and I'm going to talk to you in chapter 13 this weekend uh, about, the, about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And about here in chapter 13, they, they come out from the temple court and some of the disciples turn around and they say, wow, look at this glorious building. And Jesus turns around and says, you know, this temple, I am going to, this temple is going to be destroyed, in fact. And of course, in 70 AD, it was destroyed. And then in chapter 13, we have the prophetic of the things to come, the things that will happen. And like any prophetic text, it moves backwards and forwards. It feels in time. It's talking about the destruction of the temple, and then it's talking about the things to come. It's a little bit like that telescope that you look close up, and then you look far away, and you look close up. And reading prophetic words, Words in scripture about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ can often feel like that, can't it? I mean, I mean, it feels so, so difficult at times to understand all of the details. 
And we're not going to go into all the details. I know when I became a Christian in the 80s, it was still the Berlin Wall. It was still uh, talk about nuclear war between the East and the West. It was the Cold War. And, and of course, the uh, uh, European Economic Union had just been created uh, in the 70s. And we all thought, this is it. This is the statue in Daniel with the ten toes beast of the... Uh, of the great Roman Empire and this is the moment and then of course that's a problem because I think now uh, now the European Union has about 36 uh, toes in fact they just lost one recently uh, a certain in uh, Britain and and so, so, you know, sometimes it feels like people then say, yes, I know the date when the Lord is coming. And people go, yes, hooray. And then the Lord doesn't come. Uh, usually an American, no offense. Uh, but often this is, this is what takes place. And there can be confusion about the coming of the Lord. And yet, let me just be clear on something. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the first time was prophesied. And of course, the first story, we have the kings, we have the star, we have the stable, we have the manger, we have the donkey, we have so much, and we love Christmas. And that was all prophesied hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me remind you something, that because Jesus came first, the scriptures also prophesy that Jesus Christ will return once again. And although I may not be able to name the hour or the time or the place, Jesus Christ will return again. And I believe that this is a message for the church, that as a church, you know, we are called to be ready. We are called to be waiting. We are called to be ready to receive the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This may be new to you as a, um, as, as a visitor or even as a believer, to start to understand that, that there will be a day. And Jesus spoke about this. So in chapter 13, he spoke about the destruction of the temple. He spoke about wars and rumors of wars. He spoke about earthquakes and betrayals and courtrooms. He spoke about the church being shaken. He spoke about the problems that would take place. And we're going to jump into verse 24 as we start to think about this. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I want you to remember those verses. We'll, we'll swing back to those verses uh, towards the end of my little talk. And then, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Let's just hold it there for a moment. At that time, Jesus will return coming in the clouds. Now, this is a strange wording. I don't know if you notice this, but it says Jesus coming in the cloud, whereas I would have thought if Jesus was coming back, Jesus would have come through the clouds. So why is he coming in the cloud? Why is this taking place? 
Well, actually, this is a reference right here in the middle of this great narrative of the reality that this world will experience the greatest moment in history. As sure as Jesus came the first time, Jesus will come the second time. But he will come in the clouds. And for somebody that perhaps doesn't understand this, this simply means he will come in the glory of God's presence. A cloud in the cloud represents the Shekinah glory of God descending upon the earth. And there will be a time when the Shekinah glory of God, when the very presence of God will descend upon the earth and his presence, his dwelling will come and God will put all things right again. Don't you look forward to that day? Do you look forward to the day when we will see the coming of the king in his power and in the Shekinah glory and where the presence of God will dwell upon this earth and where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more death, where there will be no more injustice, but the glory of the Lord will put it all right again and he will return. That's what God promises. And often as Christians, we can can forget this. We can forget that we have a hope. We can forget that he will return in glory. You see, Shekinah glory is really interesting. Actually, the word Shekinah is Hebrew, and it was devised by uh, rabbi commentaries to describe the glory of the Lord. But he's actually talking about the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, coming in the cloud. And when the Lord comes in the cloud, not through the cloud, the cloud comes back to earth and God starts to put things right, the Lord, the way it should be. You see, you can track the glory of the Lord right the way through Scripture. You can start, I believe, the first moment where we have the Shekinah glory at work and the presence of God there. We can go right back to the very point of the garden in Eden where mankind walked with God in the garden, where Adam and Eve were there in the presence of what we call the garden temple. In the glory of God and in the cool of the evening, the Lord would walk with the man and with the woman and the Lord would be present and the Lord would dwell amongst them and there were the beautiful trees and the the beautiful uh, environment where the glory of the Lord was. And of course, that is the first place, as it were, the temple where the glory of the Lord dwelt, where humanity should have lived in that glorious moment. But of course, we had the fall and the great uh, rebellion that took place and chaos entered the world. I spoke last week about the flaming sword that was then present, Genesis chapter 3 verse 25 or 24, where the sword flashes backwards and forwards, the sword of judgment guarding with a, uh, with a great angel the entrance towards the garden of Eden. And yet this sword of ju- justice was brought down upon one person as he hung upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he took the sword of God's judgment into his body. But we can see then the glory of God descend in the tabernacle. I did uh, part of my master's dissertation, my theology, about the tabernacle. 
And the tabernacle was beautiful. The tabernacle was designed as a dwelling place for the glory of God. In fact, some people have worked it out. That if you were to build the tabernacle today, it would cost $16 billion. Because of the fabrics, because of the technology, because of what was involved, because of what took place. And I know that from my research was that it was the most modern, the most amazing, the most up-to-date technology in the ancient world was devised and craftsmanship brought together for this great tabernacle where the Shekinah glory of God will dwell. They then went on to build Solomon's temple. Some of the houses worked out the cost of Solomon's temple at $60 billion. I don't know how they get to these figures. It's about as much as the Scottish Parliament cost. And, and then they, they put that there, and the glory of the Lord dwelt in the temple. And that was glorious and magnificent. And, and, and in that, and the glory of the Lord would come. But of course, then we read in the New Testament that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word came amongst us. Actually, if you want to interpret that, the glory of the Lord came in a tabernacle of Jesus Christ and dwelt amongst us in his glory. But you know the remarkable thing is that the Apostle Paul calls you and I what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Shekinah glory now dwells in you. And let me tell you something. You are more loved. You are more priceless than $60 billion. Because the Son of God gave his life for you. And the Shekinah glory dwells within the church. And, the, and we experience God's peace, God's power, God's rest, God's Sabbath. This is what the cloud is. It is God's peace. It is God's goodness. It is God's greatness. And you and I experience it because we're Christians. We know the peace of God within our lives. But there will be a day when Jesus comes through the cloud, in the cloud, with the dwelling power of the presence of God. Until that day, and it will happen, the challenge is for you and I to live in the light, the Shekinah, the presence of God in our lives. The challenge is that in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you shine and you know God's presence at work within your life. I like to think of it in this way. There's a lovely story about a pilot called Tim Lovell. You may know Tim Lovell because he was, he was actually the pilot, uh, the leader of the fated Apollo 13 uh, event. You may have seen the film uh, with Kevin Bacon. If you don't know who Kevin Bacon is, don't worry. He's, he was in, actually, Flashdance. If you don't know Flashdance... Forget it. Um, you certainly were not watching movies in the 80s. Uh, but but, but the, the, Tim, he tells the story of, of, of being flying in the Pacific Ocean and all of a sudden in darkness 
losing the aircraft carrier. I think it was a Shangri-La. And his dashboard on the aeroplane is shorted and all his electrics went out and he couldn't see a thing. It was heavy cloud, it was a dark ocean, and he was lost. And as he came down, he really was completely disorientated and he probably thought, this is the worst day of my life. I'm in pitch black, I'm in darkness. This was the 1950s. I've lost my aircraft carrier. How am I going to get home? Well, as he was flying around, he noticed some phosphorus algae in the water, algae. And he noticed a little trail of this glorious, beautiful light in the water. And he came down and he started to follow this little track. And he worked out in pitch darkness what this probably was. This was probably the back of the aircraft carrier. The great propellers driving it along, churning up the water. And he could follow a line of algae that was phosphorus and alive and swirling, and he followed this glorious light, this glorious presence all the way home to land on the aircraft carrier. Do you know, you and I carry the presence of God in our lives. And when we interact together, and when we know God's presence at work in our lives, it is like we, are, we, 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 we light up the world the church does. The church brings joy. The church brings freedom. The church Christians bring direction. Why? Because when we interact with each other, the glory of the Lord is amongst us, and we are a light that shines to the world. That same glory that dwells within you is the same glory that will dwell when the Jesus Christ returns again. Robert McFarlane, he wrote a beautiful, he's one of my favorite writers, travel and walker, walking writers. He wrote about when he was in the Scottish Hebrides, he walked into the water and all of this algae and he moved his hands and how it all just beautifully came alive as it swirled and worked together. He went on to tell a story about a father and son in the Mexican um, Gulf of Mexico in a boat that had tipped over. And, and as the father and son were hanging on to the tipped over boat, they saw, they could hear singing. The beautiful sound of dolphins. And what they noticed was in the darkness, the dolphins were now swirling and circling the overturned boat. And they could hear them singing. And they could see the algae come alight. And a light, a circle was being created of light in the middle of that dark ocean. They went on to say that they also then saw another circle outside the dolphins. You've got it. A circle of sharks. And they were in the center and the dolphins were protecting them. And there was these two circles of light swirling around. When the church steps into the way that we are called... 
when we start to believe that a day is coming and we start to wake up and we believe that one day he will come in the cloud of glory, in the dwelling place, and God will put all things right again. Let's carry on reading. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you will know that summer is near. That is a most beautiful phrase, isn't it? That when the coming of the Lord is coming in glory, summer arrives to the globe. That summer is near. A change is happening. The world is changing. And we know all about that in Kelowna, don't we? I mean, we've moaned about the weather for the last three months. It's been horrific. Spring, hasn't it? And suddenly, last week, the sun began to shine and and nobody went to church in Kelowna. It was amazing. None of you were here. And there's just me and Michelle at the front dancing. And and Curtis, you missed it. It was fantastic. but, but suddenly, oh, it's been dreadful, the weather, and, and, and we've had floods and growing fl- uh, threat of floods, and we've been going, where's the sun? This has been horrible. You know, we all believe secretly that we live in California, but we don't. And, and, and we, suddenly, last weekend, the sun came, and we all felt different, didn't we? We were like, ah, oh, the sun has come. It's here. And we all talk about it. Hello, how are you? Good. Oh, the weather's good, isn't it? Yes, the weather's fine. Yes, I love being in Superstore and talking about this. And this is the promise of the second coming. The promise is that the summer will come. That's why C.S. Lewis probably wrote in the first book of uh, the Narnia series, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, that there was an endless winter. But when Aslan was on the move, summer started to come, the cold started to thaw, and the world started to change. Summer is coming. And that is a hope for every one of us that are in Christ Jesus. You see, the second coming has always been a message of hope. See, if you read the moving and chilling accounts of slavery in the Americas, and you read about the church leaders and the African-American church leaders and their boldness at the very core of who they were, You know, they believed that soon and very soon we're going to see the king. The thought of returning, the Lord coming and the summer coming, the cloud descending, the glory and the dwelling of God coming to this world so has encouraged people through the generations that when we face problems, we can know that this too will end and one day he will come in the cloud and the winter is over and summer has arrived. That's what it teaches us. It's what keeps us believing. It's what keeps us driving. But no man knows the time or the hour. 
I mean, people do predict it. You remember some years ago, somebody predicted it and people sold their houses and, and the fellow was telling and all the details. They were wrong. Because scripture says, not even the son knows. But can I ask you a question? What about if you did know Jesus Christ was coming tomorrow afternoon at 4 p.m.? If you did know that, how would you live your life differently? How would you pray differently? How would you believe differently? How would you act differently? What would you do if you knew tomorrow the clouds, the glory, the trumpet, the shaking, the returning? How would you and I as church pray, live, speak, connect with people differently? I believe that we would live differently because we would, we would suddenly wake up. And yet the whole message of the second coming is don't be asleep. Don't be dull. Don't be lukewarm. The reason we preach the second coming is get ready for the king is coming and you will meet him. And so don't allow yourself to become lukewarm. Be a church that is alive. Be a church with the glory of God. Be a church that swirls together and guides lost souls onto the great aircraft carrier of God's deliverance. That when you're in the middle of an ocean, surrounded by sharks, there is God's presence protecting you and is with you because the glory of the Lord dwells within his people and his people is the temple of the world. So, it was interesting, recently there was a re- bit of research done with 4,000 North American churches. And they actually, a range of questions, but they asked two questions that interested me. One, in the last 12 months, have you invited somebody to church? Two, in the last... 12 months, have you actually sat down and shared the Christian faith with somebody? Do you know, statistically, the answer was to response of the sample that they contacted in 4,000 churches, statistic answer was zero. Zero. In the last 12 months, the section of people they spoke to who attended church had not invited anybody to church, and had not told anybody the good news of Jesus. You see, and I know many of you, that's different for you. I know there's people here that have found Jesus Christ in the last few months, but it's frightening, isn't it? Zero. And yet the same organization did some research and spoke to a group of atheistic, non-church-going, young adults. And they asked them this question, would you be willing to talk to a friend or in a respectful conversation and would you be willing to sit down and have a conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what the answer was? 89% of non-church going, non-church attending, 
no involvement with the Christian faith at all, young adults said, I am willing to have the conversation. Now, isn't that a problem? There's a problem that there is a generation that wants to talk, and there's a church that is locked up that is hiding the Shekinah glory of the coming of the Lord. And the Lord calls us to share his good news. And you've got some great opportunities this June, June the 24th. We're going to have a lovely outreach event in aid of Syrian refugees. You can sign up. We're going to invite our community to join us. We're going to have bouncy castles and fun and barbecue and music. And we're going to connect with people and love on our community. At the same time, support Syrian refugees. An opportunity to stir the waters and let the light come and let the glory of God work. But isn't it time that you and I said, I want to live differently. I want to be devoted. Why are we then lukewarm? (laughs) Why are we apathetic towards our faith? If we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, how would you live? How would you act? What would you do? How would you be different? The big message that Jesus always communicated is don't be found asleep, be awake. Every one of us, don't be asleep, be awake. Following the Lord, knowing his strength. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. And that is our challenge. You see, when he finally returns, the glory of the Lord will be here. But then judgment will come. And we know that all things will be put right. And the second coming reminds me that I don't have to hold grudges. I can forgive my enemy. I can live differently because the Lord will judge all thoughts, will judge all actions, and will put all things right. And the second coming reminds me that I don't have to live a judgmental life. All I've got to do is love this world and make a difference. But let's go back for a moment when we think about judgment to verse 24. Do you remember we started talking? But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give up its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. It's talking about the final judgment. It's talking about darkness descending, celestial stars being blacked out. It's talking about the shaking of the ground. It's talking about the very darkest moment. What does that verse remind you and I of? When I read that verse, it reminds me of a moment 
when the Son of the living God was taken to Golgotha. He was nailed to a cross and he was lifted up high. And as he breathed his last breaths, the sky went dark, the sun was blacked out. And as he died, the very ground shook itself and there was a shaking. And the tombs, it says, broke open and suddenly a great darkness. And there was the Son of Man lifted up on that day of judgment. And I want to remind you on that great day of judgment... He was judged. He paid the price so that you and I can be forgiven. On that great day of judgment, when the shaking and the darkness came, He made the way for every one of us to be loved, to be forgiven, to become the dwelling house of God, to experience the Shekinah glory, to know God's power and God's strength in our lives on that day. And the only safe place to be is to be in the presence of Jesus. To trust Jesus as your saviour because he has already taken the price and the punishment for our sins. And yes, there will be a great judgment day. But for you and I who have trusted in the Lord, this will be a glorious day. Be a glorious day. Amen. It'd be a glorious day because all things will be put right. The summer has come. The day has started. All sickness will be healed. All disease will be dealt with. All death will be defeated. All injustice will be gone. And God will put it as it was in the beginning. And we will walk with the Lord in the coolness of the evening. That is the promise of our faith. And maybe you don't know that. Maybe this is all new to you. And maybe as a church, we need to be reminded about this so we become on fire for Jesus, yes? That we get that light at work within our lives again. So why don't we pause for a prayer? And as we pray, maybe even at this moment, you would really love to know the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'd really love it. If you could know the assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you are loved by God and that you join this great story. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus, then right now reach out to him. In Scripture, it talks about those who are lost and those who are found. And this morning, you can be found by the love of God, not lost. 
This is a prayer I prayed the day I gave my life to Jesus. It went like this. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I realize this morning that I am a sinner. And as you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give myself to you. And I ask you to come into my life and change me. I make you Lord of my life. For a moment as every head's bowed. If you prayed that prayer to get right with God this morning. I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you forward. But we'd love to help you on your Christian journey. But this morning you've gone, yes, I want to be a Jesus follower. Yes. I'm willing. And if that's you for a moment, would you just slip your hand up and put it down, indicating, Pastor Phil, pray for me. I want to follow Jesus. God bless you. Is anybody else? God bless you. God bless. God bless you. Anybody else still looking down stairs at the moment? Slip your hand up. And get right with Jesus. Anybody in the balcony? I can see hands there. Just slip your hand up and say, yes. I want to get right with the Lord. Lord, I thank you for these that you are calling. And I thank you for those that have raised their hands boldly this morning. And said they want to live for Jesus. Hallelujah. And Lord I pray that you will bless them. And encourage them. And meet with them. In Jesus name. Be so close to them now. Come close to them I pray. In the name of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. If you responded for the first time, I'll linger here for a few minutes at the end of the service. I have a Bible. I'd love to give you a Bible and some, a little a notepad and some, a couple of sermons by a fine preacher. And you can take them and, and love to connect with you. And um, we'd like to start you on the journey if you prayed that prayer. But for the rest of us, on this final song, can I encourage you to reach out to the Lord? Can I encourage you to stir the waters? To ask the Lord to fill you with his presence? One day the whole earth will be full of his glory. But today, you are responsible for the revival in your own life. So if you've been lukewarm, if you're uncommitted... If you know you've been distant, it's time to wake up. It's time to be alert. It's time to say, I'm going to live for Jesus with all of my heart. Let's stand together.